0: This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Monday, February 4th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. Life gets better after 50, and that may be cold comfort for someone in her 30s or 40s, but author Jonathan Rauch says that it's true. In his book, The Happiness Curve, he argues that the slump people tend to experience in their 40s isn't a crisis, but an essential stage of life. We spoke last month. A friend of mine who is a little older than me, uh, we were talking once and she was talking about her various systems beginning to break down and or, or health-wise not doing wonderfully. And she asked me what health problems I had. And uh, I am 41 years old. And uh, I said, well, none really to speak of. And she sort of narrowed her eyes and said, something's going to break on you soon. <laughs> and... um I think she said that in a hopeful way. I don't. I I yeah, it seemed that way. So uh, the the question is, you know, with you know health uh, declining, people are rapidly uh, approaching retirement with more or less certainty about their prospects in retirement, and witnessing the world that uh, that we live in and how chaotic it seems. Why do you argue? that life gets better
1: at 50. Most of what you just said, Caleb, is either wrong, obsolete, or becoming obsolete. It's now pretty clear, tons and tons of evidence, that on average the emotional peak of life is not until the 60s, the 70s, even beyond. Other things being equal, now this is assuming you don't have cancer, but other things being equal... There's a happiness U-curve that bottoms out in America, Britain, most other developed countries in the late 40s, early 50s, which is when I experienced it, and then continues rising right on through the end of life. When you think about the implications of that, one of them is as we live longer and longer, people are now routinely living into their 80s, quite healthy. It's going to become way into their 90s. We're getting additional decades of life in the most satisfying and pro-social part of life. And that means this idea that we retire to 65 and go off and chew cud and then die, that's going to disappear. People want to stay active. They want to contribute. They're going to be doing part-time jobs and volunteering and mentoring and working with kids. And retirement as we know it is going to end. So it's a very different story than the story that we started out with.
0: What is it about uh, these later years after 50 and you say the uh, emotional peak hits around in, the, in, the, in the 60s? Why is that not true for younger people?
1: Emotional peak, by the way, hits in the 60s or 70s or beyond. Other things being equal, the, the satisfaction curve just goes up right through the end of life. We know more about the fact of the U-shaped Life satisfaction curve. Then we do it. No. Then we know. Pardon me about the whys, but it seems like a few things are happening, and one is that in the early decades of life, we are evolutionarily oriented toward achieving social status and success because, you know, out on the Serengeti, that's how you get lots of mates. So we have checklists of all the things we want to do, the car, the house, the job, the spouse, the kids, all of that stuff. But ambition is unsatisfying. That's the nature of ambition. You get there and you're ambitious for the next thing. Evolution wants us to keep going, and that means by the time we get to our 40s, a lot of us have accomplished a lot of what we want to do, but we find it weirdly unsatisfying, Um, and that can lead to this malaise that I experienced in my 40s as we move past that period, our values begin to change. There's evidence of this of of all kinds, both neurological and psychological. But it seems like maybe evolution keeps us around long past our fertile years because we become more oriented toward helping others, toward connecting with community. We become more interested in deepening and strengthening the relationships and activities that are most important to us in giving back. People call this the grandmother hypothesis in in evolutionary biology. And that's a much better way to be satisfied with life. In fact, instead of being a rat race, a hamster wheel like the ambition model, the giving back model actually is, is deeply rewarding. So that seems to be kind of at least part of what's at work here. What about health?
0: Uh, we expect that uh, you know health declines in our later years. They are the most expensive years in terms of consuming uh, health care services. What do we know about that? How does that impact yeah. our feelings of well-being?
1: For sure, health does decline. I remember I was told by a friend who's 12 years older that really between the age of 20 and 45, your body just, it stays the same. It's all great. And he said, between 45 and 55, a lot will change. And that's that's exactly true in my case. I've had to give up tons of what I used to do at the gym that I just took for granted because of knees and shoulders and whatnot. And of course, that process continues. So the surprise, and it, it really is a surprise, Caleb, is that our values change faster than our bodies. You would expect that people would be miserable as a result of losing capacity as they age, but it turns out It becomes easier to be grateful and easier to savor the moment we're in and the relationships we have. Tons of scientific evidence plus a questionnaire that I gave to hundreds of people plus my own interviews with people in their 60s and 70s and beyond. One, age 94, said that despite the health issues they were having, they were experiencing a kind of contentment that they would never want to go back to their 20s.
0: Tell us about the survey. what kind of questions did you ask people and uh, tell us about some of the other data that you looked at for the book?
1: Well, my survey was unscientific because I'm a journalist, and so I was using it to surface case studies that I could write about. But I asked people at many different ages to characterize the decades of their life, and I also asked them to rate their satisfaction in, in each decade, and what I found was completely, though unscientific, it was completely consistent with what all the other evidence found. People remembered their 20s as a time of excitement but also turbulence, and that appears to be the case. People in their 20s typically have a lot of emotional volatility and a lot of uncertainty in their lives. It can be a great time, but it can also be a very difficult and stressful time. They remember their 40s and 50s as times of great stress, worry, uh, lots of conflicting demands. The adjectives here are all over the map, but there's a lot of stress and worry. And then consistently, I would get words like contentment and satisfaction back in the later decades. All of that is mirrored by evidence in three fields. How deep in the weeds do you want to go? Go ahead. Go ahead. So the first area, the most interesting and counterintuitive, is economics. There's this field called happiness economics, and they were looking through reams and reams of survey data. covers now, I think, 149 countries, which between them cover 98% of the world's population. And they kept finding this statistical pattern. It would just fall out. They weren't looking for it. But after they adjusted for every, all the other variables, you know, health income, education, employment, marriage, all the other things they could adjust for, they still found this effect of time that was left over. And it was, it was pretty remarkable. Just on average, just aging from age 20 to age 45 would produce, again, these are only averages, but produce a, a dip in life satisfaction equivalent to like half of a major life event like unemployment or divorce. That they didn't know why how to explain it, it just kept popping up everywhere. Then the next kind of data that appeared, 2012, this turns up in chimps and orangutans, exactly the same pattern. They live half as long as we do, but they have the same U shape, and it bottoms out halfway through their life. Then there's a whole other set of data that's coming out of psychology, and that's finding that people tend to have more life satisfaction later in life. The theory for that, it's called socio emotional selectivity theory. Some people at Stanford, Laura Carstensen in particular, the leading people on that. And they're the people who figured out and shown in experiments how our values change as we age. If they get people in experimental situations who are old to suddenly imagine they have 30 additional years of life, their values will change back toward the way they looked when they were young, which is accumulating social capital. If you take young people and do the opposite, make them imagine they're going to die in six months, then their values shift toward what, they, what we see in older people, which is investing in, those, in the people you care most about. The third line of evidence is from neuropsychology. And this, you know, this really, I think, kind of closes the case. They put people in fMRI machines in different ages and look at their brains and give them stimuli, and they find that older people consistently respond more to positive stimuli relative to negative stimuli, their brains are actually more tuned to positive stuff than negative stuff. They also tend to experience less stress in a given situation, less emotional volatility. They're better at balancing competing emotions. Uh, and all of this can be seen looking at brains. So you put these three things together. They all happen separately. It's, it's kind of one of these great stories of unintentional scientific discovery. And this all just happens in the last you know, 10, 15 years, some of it more recently. But you put all these streams together and you get a pretty radical revision in how we ought to be thinking about aging and adult development. So- Is that what
0: gives us uh, gratitude or like a predisposition toward gratitude in these later years?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's important. The the word predisposition is a good one because I, I say throughout my book and whenever I talk about this, look, your mileage may vary. Individuals are very different. I don't think anyone at the Cato Institute needs to be schooled in that. So we're talking about a story on averages or a predisposition. But yeah, what the happiness U-curve is really saying is that it's harder to be satisfied and grateful in middle age than you expect and easier to be gratified and satisfied later in life.
0: If I understand uh, what you're saying is that I should be very unhappy relative to myself in 10 or 15 years. (laughs) Uh, and, And that may or may not be true, but why is midlife so difficult?
1: Again, it's not always difficult for everybody. It's like adolescence. Some kids have no problems. Others have a lot of problems. It can be, it's on average a, a turbulent time. It seems like what's happening in midlife is that our old values of ambition are no longer satisfying us. You know, you've been, you're Caleb Brown, you've accomplished a lot, but you probably have never succeeded in putting together that rock band, or whatever it is, your
0: bluegrass band. band
1: but you're on the right track. <laughs> so, as much as you've accomplished, because you were so ambitious young in life, you haven't. You may not have lived up to that. So that creates a sense of disappointment, which accumulates year after year. This is a slow, gradual process. It's it's not a crisis in most cases. It wasn't for me. I won the National Magazine Award when I was 45. And that's the best award in the magazine business. It's like the Pulitzer Prize for magazine writers. And that still didn't seem satisfying. And that's when I knew I was working against my brain in some ways. So So what's happening is we feel disappointed because the values of ambition haven't led us to to the level of satisfaction we expected. And then that tees off itself. Here's something weird. Midlife slump is literally, in many cases, about nothing. It's not your marriage. It's not your job. It's not your hobbies. It's because you overestimated how satisfying you would find achievement to be, and then when you get there, you're disappointed, but then you're disappointed because you're disappointed, because there's no reason for you to be disappointed. You've done so much, so then you start to feel there's something wrong with you. You start to think you're going to be a grouch for the rest of your life. It begins to cycle. It feeds on itself. That's what happened to me, and the um, scientists who've done the math on this find that this can happen completely self-driven. So you put all those things together, your values are changing, changing. the old values are unsatisfying, the new values haven't arrived yet, you're feeling disappointed, you're feeling pessimistic. All of that makes it really hard. But then a bunch of things happen. First, this change in values begins to kick in more, your brain starts to adjust as you head deeper into your 50s. Second, kind of a price but also really the reward Of going through this midlife slump is you reset your expectations. You begin to question the whole ambition treadmill and you begin to reorient. And then those things together, reduced expectations, make it easier to save her life. And this change in values makes it easier to start refocusing. And you get off on the second wave of this trajectory, the upward part of the curve. So there's a lot going on there. I wish I could figure out a way to summarize it, but 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 maybe this way is as as good as any. Caleb Brown is not necessarily going to be unhappy in his 40s. (laughs) (laughs) You might be one of the lucky ones, but don't be surprised if you hit dissatisfaction and malaise. And remember, if you do, it's perfectly normal. It's healthy. It's natural. It's a transition, not a crisis. It will end. And you'll be better off for it. There is
0: uh, something in there that I thought it was particularly notable is that the things that make middle age difficult or make people tend to be less happy in middle age is something that you can't really sell them on going away. Because if they haven't gone through the, oh, I suppose, the dark night of the soul or the chapel perilous, as you might, as you might call it, uh, if they haven't gone through it, they don't see the other side.
1: Well, that's that's right and it's wrong. It's right in the sense that the only way out is through. When I was in my 40s, I tried to talk my way out of it by trying to persuade myself of all the reasons that I should be grateful. I counted my blessings, and they were many. I could go on and on about how fortunate I was. It was like nothing, at that point in my life, nothing bad had ever happened to me. It was incredible. But counting my blessings in a way made it worse because all it did was highlight the gap between objectively how grateful I should be and subjectively how grateful I wasn't, which made me feel even more like a chump. So, that's the way in which you're right. The only way out is through. This is a transition in life and, you know, it's like adolescence. We got to go through it. But here's the way in which you're wrong. There are a couple things we can do using our brains that really help. One is understand what's happening. Just realize that the story you're hearing about adult development is wrong. You're not supposed to be at the top of your game emotionally. Master of the universe, invulnerable at 50. This is a hard time of life. So you don't have to condemn yourself or be alarmed or scared if you're feeling low in midlife. You should be feeling low in midlife. In some ways, it would be more worrisome if you wouldn't. So that takes the element of fear and worry out of it which would really have helped in my case if I, if I hadn't thought I had some kind of weird depression that I didn't understand. And the second thing we can do that makes it a lot easier is once we normalize this, once we realize that this is not scary midlife crisis, hey, Caleb, when are you going to get the sports car? Once we realize that lots of people, if not ourselves, then someone we know or a loved one are going through this, we will be better able to support each other And we'll be more willing, if we're in this situation, to come out of the closet. The other thing that's really important is don't get isolated. Midlife is not a DIY project. You don't have to be the invulnerable master of the universe. We need to make it easier for people to share and support each other. And that really helps. Jonathan Rausch is author of The Happiness
0: Curve, Why Life Gets Better After 50. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.